Hello, and welcome to another episode of Such a Nightmare Conversations About Horror. My name is Katherine Troyer, and I'm delighted, as always, to be joined by Anthony Tresca. Well, hey there! This is a podcast where the horrifically nerdy meets the terrifyingly academic, as we explore that fine line between the horrific and the horrible. Each episode looks at a specific horror text that is for better or worse, giving us nightmares. And we are so thankful to have you join us today for our episode over 1989's A Nightmare on Elm Street, The Dream Child. excited that we are working our way through uh the nightmare franchise i think that was your idea yeah i i mean i i just wanted to talk about the nightmare on elm street films and uh give myself a, a reason to finally watch some of the some of the films that i hadn't seen before like this one i had not like seen. this one yeah. i had uh, <laughs> i had not yet managed to make myself watch this one yet and uh i can't say that anymore now we've watched it yeah so it feels like uh, for the last, so, like, three and four in particular, I was like, I don't know if I've seen these. And then, you know, like, we would get together and be like, I had indeed seen it. This uh-huh. one I had not seen. Um, so that one I can actually say I didn't see it. And I was correct. I didn't. I hadn't seen it before. Um, and I, I look forward to, at the end of the franchise, uh, for watching all the films at the end of the franchise, I look forward to our spooky scraps uh, where we rank them. Um, oh, yeah. Because I... I'm pretty sure that this one's going to be near, if not at the the bottom for me. And you said something really insightful right before we started recording that, like, um, it may not be the best nightmare, but it's still better than a lot of horror. Yeah, I mean, even a Nightmare on Elm Street film is still, I would still take it over a lot of the, like, really just generic and kind of boring horror of that is so much of what is gets made today. Uh at least it's interesting to look at and every you know every single kill is going to look visually interesting which i yeah. can't you can't always say with with more modern horror films we've talked before about this idea that like um one of the problems of a lot of of modern horror and a lot of horror that comes out of um blumhouse that isn't the like big hits is this sort of like paint by numbers um, yeah. approach, right? Where it's like, okay, well, we need to have, and then they just kind of tick stuff off. And even as they've become more, um, you know, like, woke, if you will, like with Freaky, where they they still had this, like, but it was a creepier version, right? Where they're like, well, we need to have the sassy gay friend who's going to live at the end, but who gets, you know, like, and so they're still yeah. doing a real paint-by-number sort of feel. And one thing you can say about the Freddy franchise is there's no paint-by-number, right? In part because, um, as, as most people probably know about, particularly uh, Dream Child, um, people didn't even know what was happening when they were making the film. <laughs> like, yeah, like it was that so is true. unpaid by numbers, right? Because the, the script was being written while they were uh, filming and in production. In fact, uh, one of the actors yep. said that he didn't even bother to learn his lines really ahead of time because he didn't, he just assumed they were going to change um, on any given day of filming. And you can definitely feel that, I think, 
for worse uh, in, in Dream Child, but also at the very least, it means that they're not, again, doing that sort of paint by numbers feel. And the deaths in particular, I think, um, you know, someone was like, but what if we went even crazier? And I think yeah. that that's one of the most endearing aspects of this franchise. Yeah, there are still, despite, as we will talk about, the story being just nonsensical and affirmative gobbledygook. Um, the kills in here are still, they're following the trend of the better nightmare films and that they're all kills that are specifically linked to the characters and their fears and their problems with their families. So that in the very least, it always makes for entertaining, uh, and and thought, thought, sometimes thought provoking, uh, deaths, which is always a delight. No, I, I, that was one thing I was very excited about in this film, um, because I do think that's what makes uh, the deaths and the dream sequences more terrifying, right, is when they're not generic, but when they're things like, um, you know, the, the issue of the, the food uh-huh. um, and the eating disorder and the, you know, parental just pressure. And then that sort of, uh, you know, where she's being fed like a baby. So then there's this like infantization of, of this, that character, right? That's a very terrifying um, death, even though it's not one of their more elaborate, it doesn't take nearly as much time as some death scenes. That's probably, yeah, that was probably my favorite one, I think, just because it was so thoroughly chilling i think yes yes that was the one where i think they used freddie is not you doesn't have a ton of lines in that sequence i think he only has like he only says like two or three things but it's everything else that's going on that makes that sequence so terrifying from just the parent the parents in there again they're they're continuing the trend in nightmare five that parents are bad uh and they certainly are in this movie and in that scene in particular. They're snotty aristocratic party guests who are mocking Greta relentlessly. Yeah, the the cinematography in that sequence um, is really good because they they use the cameras to create this really alienating effect. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a very big space, but it feels like that table kind of goes on forever. It feels like the the quote adults in the room, right, are like peering down on us. Yeah. Um, and it also it feels uncanny. It feels grotesque. And that's before uh, Greta starts being force fed like a baby. Right? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it, it almost doesn't work in that. I'm, I'm not sure it quite makes sense in terms of like, did she fall asleep at the table? Like like there's a little couple of things that don't necessarily make logical sense in that sequence. But the the impact of that particular death outweighs uh, the the rest of, of my concerns about yeah. it. Yeah, and the turning of Greta into that porcelain doll yes. that that she was carrying with her when she was mourning over Dan um, yes. in, in this scene and then the callback with Greta in a later scene where uh, Freddy just pushes her off when uh, yes. he's torturing Mark. Also, just a good callback and, I, I don't know, very chilling. It is, because as you said, um, you know, this film continues a, a motif that we've seen through all the films, and that is is that parents range from um, uninterested to downright terrible. Yeah. Um, and and through this one character of, of Greta, we kind of get to see a whole, whole range of things, right? We get to see, like... Um, what happens when you treat children like children when they're not really children anymore, when they're dealing with these big issues. Mm-hmm. Um, you get to see, you know, this idea of um, parents who 
who craft their children as, as toys or dolls, right, for their mm-hmm. own amusement. Um, you get to see what happens when you have that sort of, like, children are to be seen but not heard mentality. I mean, there's a lot that that manages to pack into this one character who, who dies early enough that she's not very developed, but she's still incredibly developed. Oh, yeah. I think you know everything you need to know about Greta from exactly. just even that one sequence. You, exactly. Which is, that's the, I think that means that they did a good job there in capturing uh, capturing that moment and choosing that, that death. And there are some other really good deaths in this one, too. I think that the Mark comic book death. I love that death. Yeah, the it's that weird pseudo comic booky aesthetic uh, yes. where Freddy is like slashing all the pipes. It's in black and white, and then Mark goes full superhero for a moment. Then, uh, of course, as we get Super Freddy, which even though I hadn't seen Nightmare Five before, I did know about Super Freddy because. I guess that's just one of the weird things that made it into the cultural zeitgeist about the nightmare things is when he goes, I'm super Freddy or whatever. And then, so that was fun. And then turns Mark into a paper cartoon person and kills Freddy, which, who who, Freddy kills, sorry. (laughs) I I think what I like, well, there's several things I like about that death scene. I like the fact um, that it has some really interesting um, special effects going on. That, yeah. Like you said, it kind of has this this fun play with a, a type of Freddy we haven't seen before. Um, I think it also is really interesting because I think that this sequence actually does a better job um, of showing the sort of conflict between daydreaming and nightmares than, than even actually uh, Nightmare 4 did. The fourth one, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In fact, because... I would have been, you know, happy to just kind of see that be the, the premise of four. And we've seen this before, actually, in, in Dream Warriors as well, um, when the kid in the wheelchair, you know, becomes like the D&D master, right? And, right. And the, the wizard. The wizard. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's something really interesting about these characters that are even within this... Um, these group of teens that are sort of disenfranchised, the one that's kind of like on the lower end of the, the totem pole, um, get to see how their daydreams protect them, right? Ultimately, of course, not enough, but but I think there's something really interesting there. It's a, it's a fun little element of like monkey paw too, where it's like wish fulfillment. You know, it's a good sequence. I kind of wish, this is one, one element that I have not ever said about a sequence before, but I kind of wish it could it had gone maybe a little bit more. Um, I, I wish that it had maybe committed to a full cartoon aesthetic for at least mm. a more significant portion of it. I think it would have been more really interesting um, to see like a cartoon Freddy just car- doing the cartoon violence and like mm-hmm. killing them in that sequence. We get it for a brief brief moment at the end um Mm -hmm. but i was kind of just waiting for the whole thing to transition into this real cartoon land rather than this like pseudo real world uh real world but comic book aesthetic planted on top of it because i think it would have been more interesting to completely have freddie submerse mark in this upside down cartoon world and be like do you really like this this is the logic that's at play here. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. I can do whatever I want to you, and uh, I can keep killing you every issue, page after page. Uh, I I think that would have been, I think that would have been really interesting. 
Yeah, there was something about the character of of Mark in general, and I think it was his like ability to to claim some agency, but then to see that defeated that that I felt similarly, um, as though I wasn't given quite as much as I wanted. Um, and I I know that you know you have to like start killing people off at a pretty decent pace if you're gonna you know make it through to the end. Um, but but I think. I think you're absolutely correct that that would have been really interesting in part or perhaps especially because this is dream child, right? Yeah. So we are thinking about what it means, you know, to, to like have a child in this world. Um, and children's cartoons are some of the most violent things you can watch. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think that would have been really interesting. And I'm sure that if they would have, you know, had a script ahead of time, um, that would have been something that probably would have occurred to them because, uh, because you, that would have been such a perfect inclusion. Um, that's it, really a pity. It really would have been. And I think it would have been a new... It would have perhaps introduced the idea for later films. Although, I don't know. Maybe they do this. I I have not seen any of the Nightmare films past this point. Um, so, maybe they do They do this in a later film. And if they do, I'll, I'll retcon this. And I'll mention that I... That they did do this in a later episode, but yeah. Freddie being able to jump between mediums, I think, is something that they don't fully utilize as well as they could, which is the fact that he could create any environment in any location and put you in any situation. And that includes, in this case, it would have, I think, been interesting, the cartoon world or, like, total dreamland where, like, ev there is no clear rules, like, yeah. are present on Earth. Earth rules or whatnot, which I, I think they don't use that quite enough as they maybe could have. I agree, um, and and I would really, I would really be excited. I know that they don't do this. I'd be excited to see a film that was just sort of um, Freddy through genre, right? So it's just like they're moving yes. through different genres of films, um, and so you get to see like what's what's fundamentally nightmarish about something, even as as um, you know gentle as like the the rom com, right? Like, yeah, I just think that'd be really interesting. I think there would have been space for this if they had cut out um, or if they'd condensed some of what I think was the longest uh, death sequence, or at least it felt the longest, and that that was Dan's. Um, you know, so so they yeah. even give credit to it in the film itself uh, in the credits, but the the sort of machine man. Um, Esque elements uh, they admit are inspired by Geiger's artwork, um, and you may be familiar with Geiger's artwork because he's the like he helped inspire the the terrifying image that is the alien in a the Alien franchise. Of course, of course. Um, and so it's it's disturbing. It's beautiful. It's another example of some some lovely practical effects. But I think of the deaths, um, we've we've just praised Greta and Marx for for fitting the character. Um, Dan's doesn't quite fit his character, or at least not as I understand his character. I, yeah, I, I don't really understand why that death is here. I, I get, I, they kind of do something, it's just a really grab bag thing, because it's like, it's a, it's horrifying about falling asleep at the wheel, which is not specific to Dan. As no. a character, it's uh, horrifying because it's about drinking and driving, uh, which is not specific to Dan. Also, not what he did. Uh, hor I guess it's horrifying because Freddie has says something, has the radio have Dan's parents say some bad things about him to distract right. it, right. which is, I guess, the most character specific thing that happens. But 
other than that, it just then he then the motorcycle he turns into the motorcycle, which yeah. he did, we're not led to believe Dan has been in really a big motorcycle person in any way or is really addicted to technology and that's why he has to become techni technologically all over himself like that. Uh, but so I yeah, it's just kind of like a cool sequence, but not so much a very impactful one because you're just like, oh, I, I guess that I, I guess those things are technically scary, but like I don't not for this character specifically any more than it would be for Joe Bob or somebody. So I think you know it's it's clear so far that that the things that we appreciate are the things we appreciate about all the the nightmare films, and that is is that the death sequences are are interesting, they're intriguing, they're doing things that are playing with form um, and content in mm-hmm. some fun ways. Um, to me, though, that, that that is more or less where the things that I like about this film end. Yeah, that's about it, because yet again, this is, uh, this is another, this is the second Nightmare film now that is a direct continuation of the previous film. This is, we're following Alice uh, from the fourth Nightmare, and this is also the second Nightmare film that is affirmative horror um and both of those elements combine together as well as this some nonsensical choices they make story-wise in how they develop the child aspect of this main story plot uh just leads to this film i think being way more boring and just kind of i found it kind of hard to sit through uh, because yeah. anytime Alice was on screen, I was just like, this scene is not going to be very interesting, unfortunately. Yeah, so let's let's break this down. Let's let's start with um the continuation, right? Yeah. Element. But because, yeah, let's start there. Because a lot of times, um not always, uh, but a lot of times when you have a a film that is gonna pick up and is gonna bring back the same actors and the same characters, that's a win, right? Because a lot of times you can't guarantee that you're going to get them. And so then you have these sequels that you're like, how is this in the franchise? Right? So so oftentimes uh, it's a win to have that continuation. However, in, in the Nightmare series, it's, it's a real deficit. Yeah. And I think it's a real deficit in part because the whole thing that makes the Nightmare franchise work is the s- sort of serial nature of things but also the the sort of the fact that it is episodic in the same way that that dreams are often episodic right it's also it's a it's a big thing that i think it allows it to be kind of more universal too it's like everybody dreams so why should we limit ourselves to this same small pool of people if everyone dreams and in theory this could happen to everyone which is something that i think works so beautifully about the first three nightmare films as you go from you get a very large range of people who dream and the various ways in which they dream and why their particular version of that dream is so disturbing. But then in the fourth and fifth nightmare thus far, they're just doubling down on, it's only this small group of people who Freddy's really affecting and, and like traumatizing, which lowers the stakes quite a bit than it if does. it is like, Freddy can go anywhere and torment anyone because you're just like, 
Well, maybe he can do that, but for whatever reason, Freddy's got this weird fixation on this group of friends in this town here, and they're the only ones who his weird dreaming things really apply to. Right, and it's not even um, as as director as explicit of a connection as with um, Nancy, right? Where at least he's like, mm-hmm. okay, well, he's terrorizing the children of the people who directly you know, cause his death. It's like, well, these are just, like you said, the people he's fixated on. And I think the problem is, is that this is a franchise that says cause and effect doesn't have any, any bearing in this world, right? Causality is not something that should concern you because it's not going to make sense. Oh, except for the ways in which you're supposed to see this cause and effect relationship, right? Of, of, uh, you know, um, continuing Alice's story. And I think one of the things that, and this, (laughs) this is so silly for it to drive me this crazy, but one of the things that really drives me mad um is how long it takes Greta Yvonne and Mark to believe Alice because all <laughs> she has to do is say remember how like five of our f- friends mysteriously died last year yeah remember that and they're like oh yeah and she's like do you want to know why right like there's this really weird way in which the film is asking us to remember the previous film but the characters aren't remembering the previous film they yeah like that's a great point that is an absolutely fantastic point because i kept waiting for alice to be to like drop her her trump card because i mean that is what that would be it would be like uh yeah i can really easily explain this because this has happened before and you know this has happened before this is a thing that like is common kind of seemed like common knowledge but then all of a sudden they were just like no, we have in I, in the nightmare films, all of our all of our leading heroines haven't been believed, so we have to continue this rather than try a new formula where Alice, if we are establishing as they done, had done in the previous film, that Alice is pretty competent and people kind of they trustworthy and people seem to believe her, but in this film, for no reason other than to have this element of disbelief and people going teaming up against Alice. Did it make sense? Now I get why the adults would team up against Alice. Sure. That that makes total sense and particularly why Dan's parents would be like, I'm trying sure. to paint you as a crazy person so we can have your baby. Sure, all that makes sense. But why filmmakers? Why would you not have her friends who believe her? It just doesn't yeah. it's a it's a it's an asinine choice. I think you hit the nail on the head in that Part of the problem is we've seen this before, right? So it is interesting, I think, um, you know, the first film in a franchise to have someone say, like, I don't know, that seems a little wackadoo. Um, but but you're absolutely correct. We are now in film five, and that's been the premise of the to varying degrees of the previous four films. Um, at this point, we know it's true, right? Like, I think in, in even in Nightmare on Elm Street, the, the um, 84 film, you know, we could be like, well, maybe she's making this all up. You know, it could turn out to be this, like, weird um, other thing, right? Yeah. Um, but we know by now Freddy's real. This is going to happen. And it seems so silly. And it also seems silly that, like, in this timeline, um, her other friends could not have died all that long ago. No. Right? Because she's still in high school. And, like, how'd she make new friends so quickly? Where were these friends when the previous film happened? How come they didn't like at the graduation say, you know, in in memory of the people who randomly weirdly died. Um, I just feel (laughs) like if you're going to say that, that the past affects the future, 
by continuing the film, you have to carry it through. And mm-hmm. I felt like even Dan was like, I don't know, Alice, that seems pretty far-fetched. And it's like, are you kidding me? Were you not there for the previous film? Do you not remember it? It just felt like there was a weird um, amnesia uh, that we that we even, as the audience, were supposed to adopt. But why would we? Yeah, I felt like the filmmakers were gaslighting us because they were like, we, they both wanted us to remember the previous events of the film, but also so that they didn't have to work too hard to come up with a new story. They were like, we are not going to remember it, and we don't hold ourselves. We're going to treat this as if this is all new for the first time. Even though they repeat so many different elements from previous films, yet this is another film in which Freddy has a rebirthing scene. Um, there's, another, there's another rebirthing scene um, in this film where he... This time from little baby to monstrous self. Uh, although I did want to talk briefly about this rebirthing scene because it happens in a church and it seems to confirm your reading of Freddy as a Christ figure from a few movies back when you did this because Freddy comes up and he aligns with the cross in the stained glass window yeah. during that rebirth scene. And uh, uh, in a film that doesn't have a lot of really good moments to grab onto. Uh, I remembered your reading as of Freddy as a Christ figure from a few films back, and I was like, I am so happy they included this, because this means you're right! You're yeah. right! No, I, I have the same thoughts, that they really painted this version of Amanda, even more so than the previous ones, as the sort of, like, Mother Mary figure, yeah. right? Um, who... who doesn't have the 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 virginal aspects um but has the madonna role right Mm -hmm. of she's so pure that even having been corrupted by the world um she's still yeah so i want to talk more about the the child scene too because i i think it i don't think it really bothers me and this is going to lead us to our discussion about the affirmative a little bit more Uh it really bothers me this idea that um, Freddy is born literally monstrous, right? Um, and this continuation of his backstory, you know, where he's like the product of, you know, this gang rape, um, uh-huh. which had this really weird sequence of like, um, you know, of us seeing the, the like um, prison, which really looked more like a cave, you know, and everyone was like, or the yeah. asylum, and, like, everyone was like milling about and like, you know, Amanda's like, hello, I'm down here. And they're like, well, let's be done for the day, right? Like, it was just, it was a really, it could have been a really fascinating scene because it could have continued the the franchise's commentary on um, various institutions. Institutions, yeah. Right? And so it could have been a really interesting look at how we treat um, people who are mentally ill as um, animals, right? Like, it could have been, but instead it was like, but aren't they? Because they raped her the moment they could. Um, and then, you know, and then Freddy is born into this creepy little monstrous thing that, that already looks, you know, deformed and scarred instead of us understanding that, like, he looks burned because a bunch of parents burned him alive. Yeah. Um, and so we lose, I think, sort of that that element of did we make Freddy or did Freddy make us? The, yeah. The 84 is, the, is so good about doing with that ambivalence. Instead, it's like... Freddy was always a monster. He was a monster from the time he was he was conceived, um, despite the the love of his Madonna mother, um, and yeah. he was born that way, and he was always going to be that way. And I that to me is just not interesting. I, you're absolutely right. This film is in line with this affirmative nature that it has. It 
and it's very it's very supportive of the status quo and the way the the world normally works and it is because of that i think incredibly simplistic and dualistic in that things can only be pure good or pure evil and that is that makes their source of horror in this film which is arguably children and parents as uh, it has been for the last several nightmare films now even though i said uh, two films back, I did not think that there was any reason to revisit this source of horror because they had perfectly uh, developed it in, in an in incredibly interesting way over three films, seeing this idea in three very different con uh, contexts, and then they really satisfyingly concluded it in the third film, I thought. But then they trotted it back out again to in the fourth film to Diminishing Returns, and Except in the fourth film, at least it wasn't so clear-cut. It wasn't as clearly tied to dualism of, like, all good or all evil things. But now in this film, they were just like, well, I guess we'll do it again, and this time we'll play for the for the people in the way back, and we'll just simplify it so much so that people can just turn their brains off and understand what's going on. Freddy evil, Alice good, children are either pure good or pure evil and you never know until you have the child right um <laughs> and, and mother mother figures are either madonna's or not so much a horror in this case as is the usual dichotomy but, mm -hmm. but monsters but right mon yeah you either have amanda and alice or you have greta's mom mm -hmm. those, those are your options Dan's and you know parents. what i think yeah i think what upsets me the most so um those of you that, that are normal listeners, you might be wondering or you might not um, be where the, the scholarship is. Um, and uh, the truth is, is that it was really hard to find scholarship uh, because there's not much, if anything, really has been written on five. Um, shocking. The, shocking. I know. <laughs> but the, the article I want to reference is uh, by a gentleman named Gary Heba is how I've chosen to pronounce his last name. The article is called Everyday Nightmares, the Rhetoric of Social Horror in the Nightmare on Elm Street series. And in talking about five, he says that uh, Dream Child makes another transition in the coding of members of the dominant culture by showing sympathetic parents. Mm -hmm. And so he talks about uh, the role of Alice's father, who's very sympathetic, yes. shockingly so, right? He's like, you know, he just says, like, let's not do this again, but let's let's raise this child in love. Um, but he's also um, crafted, uh, Heba points out, as this other figure because he's yeah. an alcoholic. Um, he's lower um, socioeconomic Socio yep. class. Yep. Um, and, you know, he's kind of, even though Alice wants him to be at her graduation, she's also kind of embarrassed both when he's not there, but also when he shows up. And so we have instances like that, Alice's father, and also, I think, to some degree, Jacob, um, yes. that that create this potential for us to have this really fascinating ambiguity, right? Uh, like, something outside the, the binary of exactly, good and evil. Exactly, because Jacob, you know, I think is as close as we get, because he has to make that decision, is he going to... Um, you know, listen to his mother, Alice, or is he going to listen to his, like, pseudo-father, possibly real father, Freddie? Um, but I, again, you're so, I love that analogy of, like, you know, they're playing for the people that are way in the back, and they're like, we got to make sure that they can see it, so let's just make it black and white. Yeah. And we'll keep it simple. And that's so disappointing for a franchise that at least for the first three films said, isn't it interesting how everything's in shades of gray? Yeah, this film absolutely leaves no room for gray, a gray area in here. For a majority of the characters, any gray area seems 
purely accidental, like with the father and with Jacob to some ex to some extent, because they don't really commit to either of those ideas, particularly not the father, because about halfway through the film, they just kind of like commit to him being really loving and just always there for her. So he's like, oh, I guess he's fine now, though. It doesn't fine let's just <laughs> move yeah, on and, and there's no real like they could have made it so that we see that like the sympathetic father figure um is is ostracized by the other parents either because he's like assuming this maternal role like there could have been some really interesting things yes. to happen i thought it would have been super interesting to see him be like kind of ostracized because he does take on that more a lot of these feminine tasks in the film he is shown to be doing and putting himself in this role and being comfortable and okay with that, which is super interesting and something I thought that they were going to explore, particularly if we're going to trot out this theme of parent and ch parents and child again, that it would be interesting to see what happens when you have one parent having to play the role of two and having to take up different characteristics of both parents that are there. Yeah, because Alice is going to have to do the same thing. Yes. Right? At the very end of the film, we get this interesting moment where it's her, um, Yvonne, and I forget, is the dad there? At the very end of the film? Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's her. Yes, it's the yes it it's is. The, it's the grandfather or Alice's father and Yvonne. And so there's this really interesting moment where they're like this new nuclear family. It's a found It's a new found yeah, family. It's a found family. It's a, it's a family where... Um, where the male, you know, patriarchal element is is really kind of lacking because Dan was sort of a an uber bro, uh -huh. despite the fact he was a good guy, you know. Like, so there's so many interesting things that this film could have done if it had just taken like two steps more forward. Even the premise of the idea that like babies are are sort of perpetually asleep in the womb, and so if a baby is always dreaming, then wouldn't that mean that, that Freddie would always have access to someone? Right? That's a clever concept in in its, like, nugget form. Yeah. Um, but it needed to go two steps forward. I Because I think at its present stage, it just kind of felt like weirdly pro- life in a lot, in like a, in like yeah. a weird way where it was just kind of like baby begin here and the dream happened here. Why? because we need to to make our plot work. <laughs> yeah, it was it, I don't I don't think it was like even subtly, right? It's no. very it's a very pro-life film um in that respect. Whether or not they meant it to, I think you're right is is independent from what happened. Yeah. And and that's just kind of like what this film does, right? Like so some of the other films we've talked about the fact that one of the interesting things that happens even as early as as the first film um, is this critique of, of institutions, right? Mm -hmm. So in the first film, it's the institution of, like, the police force slash patriarchy, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, in the second, uh, there, the school is a big element um, that's being sort of analyzed. In the third, it's the institution itself, the literal institution. And then in the fourth one, it's a little bit the school, although it's a lot not, right? Because the yeah. fourth one's beginning to, to shift things. But... This film had so much, again, we're, we're at the first film in the franchise where the characters are graduating high school and are being expected to sort of live um, in the, the world that has been crafted for them by the prior generations. Um, and there's hints of it, right? Like Greta yes. doesn't really want to be a model and Dan doesn't really want to play football. But like it would have been 
but that, that's not enough, right? So I, that t- there are so many interesting things that could have been done with this idea of being forced to enter into the workforce slash into polite society in Greta's case that could have been quite an interesting critique of what happens when you when the children are forced to take on the legacy of and the world that their parents have shaped for them. That's a really that has the potential to lead to a really interesting critique and analyses of this system that we currently create and how it kind of is backwards that the people who come before us are the ones who predominantly shape the world that we live in and a majority of children's lives is just undoing the things that they're the generations before them had to do. Uh, now, obviously, all of that is just what we read into the film and, like, an idea that we had based on a couple of lines and scenes in this film because that's not what this film is about. It's it, it, it's the first nightmare film that I don't even really think attempts an institutional critique of any of the larger systems at B, which is uh, just a real missed opportunity. It is. It would be really fascinating... I think I think I would really enjoy seeing a, a new film in the franchise that that does exactly that, right? It's it's them after they've graduated high school or maybe after they've graduated college now, um, and and they're entering into this this workforce that feels like a nightmare because it is right, like it's it's you know nine yeah. to five and it's gray and monotone, and then like suddenly and then that slowly shifts into at first this like daydream and everything feels lovely. And then they realize, but it's actually Freddie playing with them. And, and like, I think that would just be so fascinating. So yeah. fascinating. I, but that's that not what's really happening good. here. No. Right? Um, instead it's, you know, they were trying to think what could we do next? And then I think somebody probably stumbled upon in, in some reading, um, like in a newspaper, uh, some tidbit that said like hypothesis, babies uh, dream in the womb. And they were like, yes, there's the idea. And they were like, who cares what else will happen? That's what the story is about. I think that that must be like the origin story of this particular film, because it's the only thing that explains its lack of, of development in a franchise that every other film, uh, you know, to weaker extent, but like, um, has had this really like pointed message about the institutions that craft meaning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It really doesn't even really do anything with this idea that has been, we've seen throughout the franchise of, it's the weakest one in terms of what dreams actually are mean and are supposed to represent and have anything, it doesn't really have anything to say about dreams anymore. It really is just like, it's back to that, how dualistic this film is. It's like, dreams are either, they are either good or they're a nightmare. There's no gray there's no gray area anymore where we kind of get to see the uh, the the gray area of the dreams like sometimes things are scary but then it's able to be okay because you're able to come out of it or it's not okay but it's like better than just all terrible and all bad dreams are yet again reduced to this binary it's put on this binary in a way that the previous nightmare films have never put dreams I think I think the best example of that point is um, the very last dream sequence in in the 84 film, right, Uh, where she 
you know, exits the house and it's all sunny. And, you know, Nancy's mom is like, you know, I'm so glad I quit the drink. And yeah. Nancy's like, me too, mom. And then she sees all of her friends alive. Um, and, and then, you know, and then we realize that she's still caught in the nightmare, right? And that, that's one of the most haunting dream sequences in that film because it starts out with you thinking that it's a, it's a good dream, right? And mm-hmm. we get to see how quickly a good dream can become a bad dream. Um, and that's, I would like to see more of that, right? I would like to see more of people thinking that they're caught in a good dream um, before realizing they're in a bad one, because that's really what this franchise is talking about when it comes to suburbia and the the nuclear family and, um, you know, these systems that seem like a good thing on the surface, but then end up being corrupt or broken underneath, right? Like, that's the premise of these earlier films, and I, I hope that as we... Because I also have not seen... Um, I haven't seen six. I've seen uh, some of the other ones, but I haven't seen six. Um, I'm hoping that we'll get back there. I don't think we do, based on my knowledge of the other films. So I'm yeah. really hoping that only one film will get us there. But that's what this series, uh, I think, deserves. Yeah, I, I, even still, with all that said, I, as I said up at the top, despite having so many really just strong, guttural objections to this film, at least at the end of the day. Uh, it is more or, more original and more fun than just a paint-by-numbers, bore, really boring, dull uh, horror flick. Uh, so I, I can you can at least take solace if you do decide to watch this film. Uh, or have seen it. Or have seen it. Uh, that that it, I I am able to recognize that there are some just like if you turn your brain if you turn your brain off and don't think about it at all and don't consider. And don't think about this as part of the larger franchise. How you could find some real enjoyment out of it. Because if you just grab onto the individual sequences, the nightmare sequences themselves, they are admittedly a hell of a lot of fun. Even when I'm like, maybe they could have gone further or done this just a little bit better. They're still fun. Freddie, Robert England comes in again and just, he's really oh. camp. He's camping it up by this point. This is like oh, exactly. A, yeah, he knows, he knows who Freddy is and he knows who he wants Freddy to be. Um, And there's, this is normally pejorative, but there's a sloppiness to the Nightmare franchise that is one of its greatest strengths, right? Because they aren't trying to make it fit into this box. Um, And sometimes, you know, it's not even resembling a shape at all. But but I think you're right that, that this film still gives you some entertaining kills. It gives you Robert England, which really right there is enough. Um, and, and I'm excited to see where we go next. Yeah, me too. Dear listeners, don't you worry. We will be returning back to the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. Uh, not ne- not our next episode, but the episode after that will pick back up with uh, Nightmare 6. Uh, instead, next time we're going to be taking a brief detour to Texas to pick up some chainsaws and view a massacre. Excellent. <laughs> and in case that, that code was too hard for you to crack, our next film is going to be on... Texas Chainsaw Massacre. We're doing the original one back from the 70s. Excellent. And this is coming to us from a request yes. from a listener. So the the lesson is, is that if you are a listener, you should let us know what you would like to see us talk about because we are happy to... To fit it into our rotation. Absolutely. As long as you're okay with the fact that we um, may not love the film as much as 
as you do, because I, the first time I watched Texas, I just remember being really grossed out. So um, I'm excited to see now that I've like, you know, seen things that are way more traumatizing. <laughs> um, I'm excited to see how I feel about Texas Chainsaw this time. Um, in the meantime, we will have a spooky scrap on Nightmare 5 where we're going to talk a little bit more about children mm-hmm. and why uh, it's not just Anthony and I, but the entire uh, horror genre that thinks that they're creepy and gross. Yep. Um, and so we, we hope that you check that out. Uh, Anthony, what else do they need to know? Well, you should definitely take a look at all of our social media pages. We're pretty active on there. Uh, if you, That's probably the best way to reach us if you want to leave us a suggestion. It, if you want to just tell us how good we're doing, obviously our egos would definitely be appreciative of that. Um, and it's just a great way to stay up to date with us. So all of that is linked in the description below. And you know what? Other than that, I just, I just want to thank you so much for listening and remind you to have a spooktacular day. <laughs> <laughs>